You're listening to the weekly podcast from Solid Ground Church. We hope that this is uplifting and encourages you to take your next step in your relationship with Jesus. If we can be of any help at all, please visit us on the web at solidground.church. Now let's get to this week's message. <laughs> Good morning. Hey, welcome you guys. First of all, happy Cinco de Mayo. Uh, why are you laughing at that? That's weird. <laughs> also, uh, happy belated May the 4th, National Star Wars Day. We got any Star Wars geeks in the house this morning? Too great. Uh, listen, if, uh, if we haven't met, my name is Bert. I'm one of the pastors here. Guys, thanks so much for getting up and spending your Sunday with us, this gray Sunday, braving the elements of the rain. And you guys were like, you know what? I'm going to worship me some Jesus this morning. That's great. And you picked a good week for it because today we're starting on a brand new series called From Jacob to Israel. If you've got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Genesis 25 is where we're going to be today. Genesis 25. Let me just sort of set us up. As a church, uh, we've been going through the book of Genesis since January. Like We've been just going through this massive story of the, like the origin of humanity, the fall, God, the beginning of God's plan of redemption for creation, right? So we've been seeing um, this big story. A couple weeks ago, we wrapped up a series on the life of Abraham. And last week, I thought Pastor Josh absolutely killed it, talking about the life of Isaac and like the cycles from Abraham that repeated in Isaac's life. And we're going to see a little bit more of that today. Um, but so to set this up a little bit, um, one of the things that's really interesting, and Josh touched on this last week, is that okay, when it comes to the story of Abraham, you have all this hype and all this leading into the life of Isaac. Like it's all about the, like the son of promise, the son of promise, the son of promise. And so you're waiting with this anticipation for man, I can't wait to see what God is going to do through this guy. And then there's like two chapters and it's really not a lot. Like Isaac is almost like a placeholder for the next guy who is Jacob. And it's not that there aren't like some fun Isaac stories, it's just it's not that big of a story, and so he's more like a transitional figure, and so we see this now, okay, like from Abraham to Isaac, and now we're going to pick up with the beginning of the life of Jacob. In Genesis 25, starting in verse 19, it says this. It says, this is the account of the family line of Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham, it says, became the father of Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel, the, Ar- the Aramean from Paddan Aram, and the sister of Laban, the Ar- Ar- Aramean. Okay, anyway, continue. A lot of different language. Okay, so Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. Now, isn't this interesting that basically like the way that the Abraham story began, we see it repeating with Isaac again, right? So we saw Isaac not trust God last week in the same way that his father had. And, and now look, again, like waiting for children, and, and it's the same thing. So he says he prayed for her uh, because she was childless. And the Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebecca, became pregnant. Now check this out. The babies jostled each other within her. And she said, why is this happening? Because all right, they don't have ultrasounds back then. So she's feeling a little bit like a rumble in her tummy, like something's going on there, a back and forth. She's like, what in the world? Okay, and, and so, here, so she goes to the Lord about it. And here's what, here's what the Lord says to her. Next verse. It says, the Lord said, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. He continues. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And it's this phrase right here that I want us to focus in on for a second here because there's a significance to this, okay? Now, if you grew up in church like I did, you've heard the story of Jacob and Esau and that stuff. But here's something to understand is that what God says here is incredibly countercultural. 
So just to understand, like we, we talked about this before, like as students of the Bible, if we want to understand it, we need to understand the culture it's written into. We want to understand context and this type of thing. So here's something to understand the, about the ancient Near East, like the world into which Genesis came. It's this. When it came down to it, like it really was this belief that, okay, as long as you're a boy, if you're a firstborn boy, for, firstborn is first best. And so, like, like the, the, the person that you want to be in your family, because it's a patriarchal society, like, women don't have a lot of rights. But if a boy is born, he's born, like, into a prominence in the family. He's born, like, like the reason that that boy is there is because the God has sort of considered that person to be the best. And so here's how this worked out in all kinds of ways with this belief that the firstborn was the greatest. So, for instance, like, let's say that a man dies and he has two sons, all right? Well, his estate wouldn't be divided into two. It would be divided into three. And two-thirds of that would go to the firstborn. And the last third would go to the, the younger son. I mean, it, like, so because the firstborn was considered to be, like, the one through whom blessings would flow into the family. Like, like if the family had any kind of relationship with any kind of God, the God's blessings would come through the firstborn son. After the father died, the firstborn son, like, assumed the mantle of being in charge of the family. I mean, so you have, like, double portions. You have head of family. You have blessings. And so people believe that, like, the firstborn is the absolute greatest person and greatest child to come. So for God to sort of come in here and go like, listen, the older is going to serve the younger, means that what he's doing is he's breaking cultural stereotypes. In fact, this is something that the author of Genesis, who I believe to be Moses, like goes out of his way to do again and again. This isn't the first time that we've seen the, the blessing of God not go to the firstborn. You could say that with, with Isaac and Ishmael, right? Like Ishmael is technically the firstborn of Abraham's descendants, and yet he's not the son of promise. We'll see this with Jacob's own descendants, like, like with, with Joseph and that story going on. Like God sort of goes out of his way to go, all right, listen, it's not about where you're born in the family. It's not about your earthly circumstances, which is why I think it's really important for us to internalize something. As people who don't come from a, a world where it's about being firstborn, many of us still, we limit what we believe that God will do in our lives based on earthly circumstances. Right, so what we'll do is something like this, like, like God could never use me because, you know, I'm maybe a little shy, I'm timid, or okay, I don't have as much money as someone, like someone else, I don't have as much this as somebody else, I'm not as talented or whatever, and we sort of compare ourselves with those around us, and we find ways to sort of come up short within the blessings of God. So if you're taking notes, I want you to write this down, it's just something to understand here that's a principle that's reiterated again and again in Genesis, and here's what it is, okay? God is more interested in who you are than what you have. Let me say that again. Like, God is more interested in who you are than what you have. Don't be so earthly as to judge a book by its cover. Don't think, okay, well, I don't have the best clothes. I don't have the this. I don't have the that. No, no, no. God is more interested in who you are than what you have. And we're going to see that play out in this story of Jacob and his brother Esau. So our story continues in verse 24. It says this. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. And the first to come out was red. And his whole body was like a hairy garment. We're going to pause here for a second because um, some of you are like, gross. And others of you who are hairy are like, that doesn't sound so bad. Um, but I, 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 I'm with you, bro. Not up here, but on the arm. Anyway, so um, look, something to note. Okay, like we hear this right now. And, and you're like, well, how in the world could something like, like, like why, why, why? Why go out of your way to describe this really like disgusting sounding baby, like a hairy red baby? Like that's that that's weird. So here's something to understand. Like, how many of you guys know that, that standards for beauty change with time? 
You know that? No, 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 but truthfully, right? Like, like, like things that we consider attractive, things that we consider beautiful, cute, whatever, like those change over the years. And the same is true with this. We hear this story as 21st century Westerners, and we're like, okay, so she gave birth to a caveman, a red caveman, right? Okay, um, but here's the thing to understand, is that every way that Esau is described right here is beautiful to them. Like the original audience, the original ones who would have heard this story. I mean, if you were to sort of go through the rest of the Old Testament, like when it's also like, like him being read, for instance, okay? Like other places, it'll translate this phrase as ruddy. Now, if you ever like read the story of David, right? You remember the first time David is introduced in 1 Samuel? The way he is described, he is red, he is ruddy and handsome. Same idea that, okay, like what we're seeing here, like this is somebody that's attractive to their eyes. I think you can see that, again, this type of, like this type of description is repeated in in places like Lamentations, Song of Solomon. Like this idea, like this isn't something that's unappealing to them. You're like, I just can't get past how something that hairy and red would be that attractive. I got one word for you, Elmo. Anyway, like the, 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 just like, but like the, 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 but this is it. Like, what we want them to understand is, okay, listen, when Moses writes this down, he's going out of his way to show how much earthly-wise Esau has been blessed. And so they said they, they, they named him Esau. And the name Esau, um, in Hebrew, it can kind of sound like either the word for hairy or the word for red. It's a perfect placement of words. And so, again, like we talked about this before, like the idea of like when they name people in the Bible, they're talking about who the person is, right? It's not just a sound. Okay, well, there it is. Okay, so he's, he's this beautiful, hairy, red boy, Esau. And then it continues. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. Now, the, the, the name Jacob literally in Hebrew means the one who grasps at the heel. Just does, um, but but here's something to understand is that in Hebrew, the, like the phrase "grasping at the heel," that's an idiom for a deceiver or a liar. And so when he comes out, basically what they're saying, like, "Oh, look what he does here," and, and they're putting this over his life immediately. This boy's going to be tricky. This boy's going to be like what we consider like, this boy's based on. Like, like, he's going to be a liar. You might be like, well, how does that work? I don't know. There's all kinds of phrases in English we don't understand. Like, but it, just, it just does. I mean, like, we have idioms in English, right? Like, we have, or we have, we have, like, phrases that we use that don't make a whole lot of sense. Like, I heard one last too long ago where, where a girl said, man, you look as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. Like, <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> but, but, okay, but, 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 but there's a meaning there. The same way, okay, listen, like, like grasping at the heel, it, it, to them it means deceiver. So let's see how that plays out. So as it continues, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. And the boys grew up. And Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country. And again, what we're seeing here is the way that Moses is writing this, he, we're meant to sort of read this and assume that Esau is going to be the hero. Because he's a man's man. All right, Esau is that guy, like, like in, in a world where might equals right, in a world where it's all about strength, and you're like, you're the first one ever. Esau is living that perfectly. He's handsome, he's a hunter, he's got all this going for him. And what's, what's Jacob doing? Well, he's home among the tents. So Jacob, inside guy, if they had video games, he'd probably be playing them all day. That's just kind of who Jacob is. But let's just check something else, by the way. How many of you understand that when it comes to masculinity, you can still be a man and not be a linebacker? Like, can we just check that for a second? In fact, the guy that we're going to see God bless 
Sorry, it doesn't sort of fit that traditional masculine cookie cutter mold that many of us have this false view of, okay, like to be a man means you know, I'm crushing beer cans on my head, I'm, I'm using women, I'm, I'm, I'm out there with my muscles being like, like flailing. And I understand something that, that there's much more about character in this than you may give it credit. And unfortunately, if you've been taught this sort of toxic masculinity that's all about use other people and, and flex your own strength, you don't quite get the biblical definition of masculinity and manhood. And brothers, by the way, for those of you who the, the world looks at you and, 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 and you've gone through it and people have told you that you're weak physically, understand that does not define you in the eyes of God or your worth whatsoever. Let's keep going. So Isaac, it says, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau. Again, patriarchal society, who should we root for? Well, dad likes Esau. So we should root for Esau. But Rebecca love Jacob. And so there you go again. Jacob's a mama's boy. Like we're not expecting much from Jacob. But now let's begin to understand something. Like to, to set up the next part of the story. Imagine you're Jacob. And imagine you grow up in this house. And you watch as, okay, firstborn, and, and, and you see the blessings going to him, and you miss being firstborn by minutes. Imagine, you know, like you're going through life and you watch the way your father favors your brother, but not you. Imagine like you, you keep hearing about how, oh, if only like you had gone and hunted like Esau, if only rather like this. Imagine growing up and you're hearing the stories of the faithfulness of God, the God of your family. And so you hear about how God like delivered grandpa Abraham and Abraham didn't know what he was going to do. And God took care of him and God blessed him with life. And, and, and you have Isaac as your father, and he says, that's, that's our God, Esau. And then he tells their, his boys stories, and he says, listen, you know, like, God, the same God did the same for me as, as head of our family. He's the God of Abraham. He's the God of Isaac. And then he turns, and he goes, and he's the God of Esau. Imagine that. Imagine if you're Jacob. Imagine hearing that your whole life to basically be told, we have an incredibly powerful God. We have a God who saves and delivers our family, but not as much for you. What would that create in you? Would it create that sort of wanting what was right ahead, the grasping at the end, sort of like wanting that thing that's right ahead of you that's always out of reach? Would you wonder, like, like could that God ever care about Like, like do, do I even matter? Like, why am I even here? Like, imagine going through life like that, just wishing, wishing you were your brother. How many of you have experienced that? Just like you have that overachieving sibling and your entire life, you're just like, why can't you be more like so-and-so? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. You know, like just that... <laughs> That, that type of deal, right? Where it's like you look at them and, and, and they're always getting it so great and, and, and mom and dad just seem to always be favoring them and you're sort of sitting there to the side going like, well, what about, what about me? Like, why, why am I here? That's where Jacob is when this story starts out and so he becomes desperate and because he is a deceitful guy, he does something that isn't to be condoned and yet God honors it. And so look at this. Genesis 25, verse 29 says this. One day, when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. So Esau's been out there hunting. He comes back. He smells the food. And he, and he said to Jacob, quick, let me so have some of that red stew. I'm famished. And the slime right here is interesting. Uh, that is why he was also called Edom. So 
just to know something, uh, in, in the Old Testament, you find a group of people called the Edomites. They typically are enemies of the Israelites, or they make things not great for Israelites. Uh, they are descendants of Esau, because Esau becomes interchanged with the name Edom. Now, the, the name Edom, like Moses, he goes out of his way right here. He says, listen, the reason that they're called Edomites isn't because of how red Esau's complexion was. It's because of this stupid decision that he makes with his stew. All right, like, the, like, and we'll see this. Like, so Esau sees red stew. He goes, I, I want some of that. Give me some of that. And we're going to see how, like, what just a terrible choice that he makes. And the legacy that he leaves, the reason that, that his descendants carry on that name is not because of his handsomeness. It's not because of his promise. It's precisely because of a stupid decision that he makes. And let's check that as well. As we evaluate our lives and the choices that we make, let's ask ourselves a question. Okay, what legacy do I want to leave? What do I want to pass on to those after me? Because they will inherit my good and they will see my bad. What do I want to give to them? And so Moses, listen, he was also called Edom because of this stew. And so listen, I'm, I'm famished. I'm starving. Please give me some of that stew. So Jacob, he, he leverages it and says this. First, sell me your birthright. Now, this should never happen. Like, there should never be a moment where Esau would even consider this, okay? Because we're talking about the double blessings of their affluent family. We're talking about the honor and prestige that is associated with being the firstborn. We're talking about all the blessings of God that come in with that. There is no reason he should ever, ever, ever say yes to this. It would be so, so stupid of a decision. But Esau's got a rumble in his tummy. And so here's what he says, look, uh, I'm about to die. A bit extreme. So what good is the birthright to me? And it's right now we begin to understand something about Esau. All those stories that he's grown up with, hearing about God providing and hearing about God delivering, it's never sunk in. He's just kind of taking it for granted. You know how you can know that? Because if you come in after a long day and you believe that God even can't provide for you a meal, you don't believe that God will actually deliver you and your family. And so we see something about Esau and his relationship to the blessings of God. He almost sort of considers them his right. And so because, he, well, yeah, I just grew up with this. They're mine. Well, yes, of course I should have this. I should have that. He doesn't really treat them with the sacredness that they deserve. So what good is a birthright to me? I, I, let me say it this way. Okay? For those of us of faith, many of us, um, we, we understand. And, and, and if you don't get this yet, man, just give it time. The Holy Spirit will work on you a little bit with this. We, we start to understand how much we've been forgiven by Christ, right? Like, like we, we see the stuff that he wiped away from us and we go like, oh my gosh, Lord, I could never repay you for that. Like you, you, have, you have paid an immeasurable debt for me. Yet for how many of us, even in the view of the grace and mercies of God, we will still find ourselves putting them to, to the side when it best suits us because we don't quite understand that just because something is free doesn't mean that it's worthless. You get it? Like many of us, like we'll treat the grace of God with contempt. And so we'll go, listen, of course God will forgive me. Of course God will love me. Of course God will do this or do that because I'm his. I'm the special one. Of course I should have that. And so we treat something as worthless just because it's free. Something as immeasurably important and valuable as the blood of our Savior. We're not that different from Esau in this. And so he's going like, what's the point of having a birthright if I can't have some food? But Jacob holds him to it. And so he says, no, 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 swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. And then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. 
And he ate and drank and then got up and left. And look at this last line, how the story ends. So Esau despised his birthright. That he treated it with such contempt that it, it's almost as though he, he despised it. I mean, oh my gosh. And understand something. As we go forward in the coming weeks and look at this story more as it, as it progresses forward, understand this is a decision that Esau will regret for the rest of his life. I mean, he will, he will get to a point where he is, like manly Esau, he is sobbing in tears just asking to have back what he's given away, and he won't get it back. Which is why I think for us as a group today, I want to ask a question, not as a judgmental statement, not as a, okay, like, listen, um, like, you're bad or whatever, but just to try and safeguard us from some, some heartbreak that we may be setting ourselves up for and trading good things for things that aren't worth it. I just want to ask us a question as a church, and here's what it is, okay? What are you trading for a cup of stew? Let me ask you, okay, like, what are you trading for a cup of stew? Some of you are like, well, I have a credit card, nothing. No, 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 no. Here's, here's what I mean. Here's what I mean, okay? What are you trading for that, like, that little thing that ultimately doesn't matter? Or what are you trading for that little thing that, that really when it comes down to it, you're giving away a really good thing, a blessing of God for something that if you look back on it, you would go like, man, that was a dumb decision. Like, it was not worth what I did. And we all have them. We all have these different areas. Where, listen, I'm trading something for like a figurative or, I mean, if, if you're that much of a foodie, like literal cup of stew. But like, okay, like we do this all the time. I'll give you some examples, right? So Maybe for you, like, the way that you're wired as a person is, like, how you're fed a lot is through human connection. And all of us are wired for human connection and relationship to some degree. Of course, God has made us, like, communal beings. But, I mean, like, for you, like, you're just desperate for someone to validate you, to tell you that they love you, to, to speak into your life. And you're, just, like, you need connection. And you've got a family around you. or You've got friends around you. And yet, you spend your entire time scrolling through social media when you're with them. And trading the real life that's with you for a fake one on a screen. What is that? That's trading for a cup of stew. And like, well, yeah, but they, they liked my post. Uh -huh. and, and you missed the real world. You miss people that actually love you. Or where you are is, okay, like you grew up a little bit more uh, in, in poverty. You grew up with, with less physical means. But now where you come into in life is you're making a good amount. And so you decide, listen, I'm going to give my family all the things that I, w I always wanted but could never have as a kid. And so you just take on massive amounts of debt to just pay for this exorbitant lifestyle. And yet in the middle of that, the crushing weight of all the stress of the bills and all the stress of the things that, that you're paying for causes you to disconnect, to just be obsessed with how am I going to pay for this, to snap at your family and, and, and create rift in relationship, the very people that you wanted to bless. What is that? That's a cup of stew. You trade the good thing for something that was small and insignificant. And yes, you were hungry. And yes, you had legitimate needs that you wanted to meet. But you met them in illegitimate ways. What you did was you traded a good thing for an inferior thing. Look, I'm guilty of this. I'm not, please hear me. I'm not judging you. All right? I'll give you an example of one of mine. A few nights ago. I had this moment where in my routine at the end of the night, you know, like time to get my kids down to bed. I'm in this place. And how many of us, maybe you're like this too, where just 
you find your life just being a set, like, of just, I've got to get to this thing, I've got to get to this thing, I've got to get to this thing. So you're just sort of on to the next thing. So I'm sitting there, I'm, I'm just rushing the kids to bed. Like, like you got to, like, guys, get your pajamas on, like, get your teeth brushed, like, get in bed. Like, come on, you got to go, got to go, got to go. And it was like, in that moment, Holy Spirit just, like, gut checked me. It was like, why? I'm just like, ugh. And I'm thinking about that, I'm like, like, and he just to like pull at the layers of my heart. Like, like, why is it that you're rushing them right now? Like, where is it you're actually trying to go? And I'm looking at this, and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know what it is? Honestly, I just want to sit down and watch YouTube. No, but like that, like that. I mean, that, like that, that's it. Like, I want to watch some videos that I'll forget two seconds after I watch them. And so here I'm like rushing my children and my time with them. That's going by way faster than I could have dreamed it would to just like, like, like watch a thing. And, and what am I doing? Okay, it's, it's cup of stew. Like the life of these boys who are more important to me than anybody else on the planet. Like, yet I'm trading my precious little bit of time with them that I get for like just a, a quick like, ooh, neat, a cat that sings. Like, like what is that? It's a cup of stew. And you know what's interesting? My brothers and my sisters in the recovery community, you get this. Right, like you get this idea of like I'll place my hope in in a thing that man, like I feel off or I need to numb something. I, I, I if I just got this next fix, whether that be a pill, whether that be a bottle, whether that be a website, like then I would finally feel better. And so you you medicate with these things and you numb. And everybody numbs with certain things. If it's not if it's not like a, well, something that people would frown upon as an addiction, we we, we numb upon like shopping. We numb upon uh, social media, web time. We numb upon uh, maybe like that that little bit of social wine that you have, like these different areas where we sort of numb ourselves. And, and, and what is this? Well, it's the belief that if I do this, then I'll feel better. But here's the crazy thing. You should just know this. Studies are showing, listen, when you numb yourself to take away the lows, you also make it so you cap yourself in experiencing the highs. So if where you are, and I'm getting this from a book, uh, uh, Brene Brown just released one called Daring to Lead, and she talks about this a little bit. But the idea is, okay, all right. If what you're trying to do is escape, I've got this little thing, I'll just trade off for this, okay? So if I have this, then I'll feel better. And, and so what you're trying to do is sort of escape the pain and the lows of life. What happens is, okay, you do that, but you also make it so your capacity for connection and joy are capped. And so you don't experience highs as well. What is that? That's a cup of, so you're, you're trading life for this small little thing that doesn't matter. Why would you ever do it? And you might go, well, yeah, but where's God in all this? Because, like, shouldn't God, like, deliver me? Like, shouldn't God fix it? Like, like if I'm going to go down this pathway, like, shouldn't God stop me from going there? Or shouldn't God clean up my mess if God loves me? Shouldn't he make it so that, you know, like, the, like these types of things don't happen? Hey, if God forgives me, shouldn't he make it so that this stuff doesn't blow up in my face? And it's here we got to understand something about God, our loving, heavenly Father. Because he loves, there are consequences to actions. Right, like parents, like if you don't discipline your kids, you're, you're not loving them. In the same way, do you, do you understand? Like here's what the Bible says about these types of things. Okay, like I'll just go down this pathway, I'll just sow into this, and I'll expect that God will take care of me in it. Galatians 6, 7 says this, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. And this isn't a curse. This isn't like a, if you do something wrong, God's going to get you. 
It's an observation about how this world works. That the way God has structured creation is you reap what you sow. There are consequences to your actions and you've got to know about that. I have a friend who understands, listen, I've been forgiven by Christ. He's been walking with the Lord for 30 years. He is one of the most godly people I have ever known. I mean, just he like like the gentleness about him, the kindness, just the absolute Christian character. Like, I look at him like, wow. And yet, even though he is fully aware of what Jesus has forgiven him of and wiped away, he still, the greatest regret that he carries in his life is an affair that he had 30 years ago. Because he watched it blow up his family in a way that it would never come back together. And yes, he believes God loves him. And yes, he believes God loves his kids and his ex-wife. Yeah, 100%. But he also recognized, man, if I could go back, I would undo that. Because understand something. Listen, when we're talking about this, it's not about condemning. It's about sparing the heartache. If I could put it this way, let me say it like this, okay? Do not trade what is good for what is immediate. Do not trade what is good for what is immediate. Don't just go, okay, well, I've got this hunger, I've got this desire, therefore I must meet it, I must act upon it. Understand, there are times where you will trade what is good for a cup of stew. Years ago, somebody asked Paul Newman, you remember Paul Newman, the actor? Remember Paul Newman? Also makes a killer ranch dressing, anybody? Right, okay, all right. <laughs> Made, he's, he's dead now. Anyway, so um, somebody asked Paul Newman, hey, have, have you ever cheated on your wife? He's a famous Hollywood actor. And here's what he said. He said, he said, no. And he said, well, why? He goes, well, this is going to sound kind of corny, but honestly, I just live by this principle. Why would I go out for a hamburger when I have steak at home? And for how many of us, like, this is what we do where we trade the blessings that God has given us for a cup of stew, and we do it because we think that those blessings are our rights. But they're not. They're blessings. And as we watch going forward in this story, we will see how Esau's life gets worse and Jacob's gets exponentially better. Not without difficulty, but exponentially better. To the point that when it comes down to the story of the redemption of humanity, God brings it not through Esau, but through Jacob. And you might go, okay, well, what do I do with all this? And, and, and right now, please hear me. Like, if I'm talking about this stuff about actions and consequences, and you are hearing from me any kind of condemnation or it's, it's like stirring up any kind of shame within you, I want you to understand something, that God loves you so much he sent his son to wipe away your sin so you can be so thoroughly forgiven there's not even a place for shame. So if right now where you are is you would say, like, okay, like, gosh, I just feel as though like, you know, I've got all this baggage. Or whatever. I want you to you don't have to carry that anymore. That, that God has sent his son Jesus to die in your place, to take the wrath that you and I deserve so that we can be forgiven, saved, and changed. And all that baggage and all that stuff that we're carrying in our hearts doesn't have to be there anymore. And it's not that there, are, there isn't an aftermath and there isn't you know, pieces to pick up, but understand that you can be made right 100% with God through Christ. Jesus died for you to wipe away your sin. And he rose from the dead to give you new life with God. So today, if you would say that you don't know him, if you would say that you're not walking in a relationship with him, you know, with him I, I want to pray with you. And let's watch. Let's watch as that actual God who died for your sin and rose from the dead fills you with his spirit 
and gives you a new life. So every head bowed, every eye closed. If you want to begin a relationship with Jesus or you want to come back, like you've gone away, you want to come back, here's what we're going to pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. God, I, I confess um, I've messed up. I've sinned. I've done things that I knew were wrong and I chose to do them anyway. And I'm sorry. But I, I believe that you sent Jesus to die for me and that you raised him from the dead so that I can have new life with you. You love me so much, you gave me your son to reconcile me to you. And so, Lord, I'm asking you, please wipe away my sin. Please save me. Please remove the shame. Please fill me with your spirit. I hand my life over to you now. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, really quick before you go, if you pray with me just now, before you leave, let us know that. Grab a Connect card, fill it out, check the box in the back so we can help you take your next steps in faith. This time you guys are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. We'll see you next week for part two of From Jacob to Israel.